it is time for our Friday morning uh, devotion. And today we're looking at 1 Corinthians 15, uh, quite a uh, famous chapter, I would imagine. Um, for many of you, you're probably familiar with it because it's quoted so often, especially around Easter time. It might not be um, one of those passages that you hear too often uh, quoted in the middle of uh, January, but it's always appropriate to uh, to look at a text like this because it contains, in fact, the most important truth that you and I need to know. And I'm not exaggerating. That's why the title of today's devotion is The Resurrection is Everything, because it really is that important. Now, this chapter is all about the resurrection. And, you know, over the last 10 months, as we've experienced uh, everything just completely go into chaos um, on so many different levels in, in our world, um, I don't know about you, but I have found myself really longing for uh, a true and better kingdom, really longing for um, uh, something beyond what this world can give us. I found myself longing for heaven. Well, the only way that that is a remote possibility is if there is such a thing as the resurrection. Well, that's what Paul is going to discuss and defend uh, in this passage. So uh, without further ado, here's what he says. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Now, what is that gospel, Paul? Can you can you summarize it for us? Can you can you kind of boil it down to oh, just a few statements, a couple sentences even? Well, I'm glad you asked, Eric. I indeed can boil down the gospel to a very short, pregnant few statements. Quote. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Here's the gospel, folks. That Christ died for our sins. Don't pass over that word our too quickly. Our sins, your sins, my sins. I am the sinner that Christ died for. In accordance with the scriptures. In other words, he says the scriptures, this is in accord with what the scriptures actually told us would happen to the Messiah. That he was buried. Indeed, all the Gospels record that reality. He was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Folks, that's the Gospel. Uh, Christ lived and died for our sins. Uh, Christ was buried, and Christ was raised. And then, just in case people didn't believe that he was raised, he went and appeared to a bunch of different people. And, and I do love this passage because, uh, well, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, you know, we can get so muddled when we think about the, the Bible, when we think about the scriptures, we can overwhelm ourselves with all, uh, all number of things that are actually in the scriptures. And there are, there's a lot of things in there. But we can do so at the expense of keeping the gospel front and center, which is this simple statement. It's all about Christ and what he's done, what he's accomplished for human beings, for humanity to be reconciled to God. And so here it is, folks. That's the gospel. Now, Paul's going to go on now to show 
that this was no isolated event, but in fact uh, is based on and is filled with eyewitness accounts. Quote, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Now, this is really, really significant. This is actually kind of a shocking statement if this is all just made up nonsense. If the disciples just sort of hatched a, you know, a plot off in a corner somewhere, a conspiracy to start some new religion after Jesus died because they were in such despair that they just wanted to keep his legacy alive. And so they made up this story of a resurrection. Well, it's, it's got to be tough then if you're making something up. I mean, you're taking quite a gamble when you say, actually, no, he appeared to more than 500 people at one time. One time. Now, the skeptic might say, well, the 500 people must have had a mass hallucination. Folks, folks, uh, that's just not possible. It's not realistic. This is a very, very uh, strong piece of evidence. And Paul has no problem saying they're still alive. Basically, what he's saying to them is, um, hey, go ask him. Go ask some of these people. He doesn't have any problem saying it because he knows, in fact, it's true that Jesus rose from the dead. Verse 7, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. So Paul, at the end of this first paragraph, gives a defense of his own ministry. And the reason he does this is because his ministry is kind of constantly under attack. It's, it's, uh, people are suspicious of his ministry and whether he's the real deal, whether he's authentic. And what does Paul point to? I've seen the risen Christ. I was appointed by Christ himself. On the Damascus Road, as recorded for us in the book of Acts, Paul has his life forever changed. At that moment, he goes from being Saul the persecutor to Paul the apostle because Jesus calls him into that ministry. The risen Christ appears to him, and that's what changes everything. And that's what changes everything to, uh, for us, too. When we meet the risen Christ, when we meet our living Lord, then it literally does change uh, the trajectory of our entire lives. This is what it means to be converted. Uh, it's a beautiful picture, and we could go more and more into Paul's testimony. But I want to move on to verse 12, because this will explain why Paul is addressing this matter with the Corinthian church. He says, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Ah, apparently, in the Corinthian church, there were some who were saying, probably even people of significant influence, uh, maybe even some teachers that had crept into the church saying, it's not actually a thing. The resurrection is not something real. Now, this could be, the reason this could have crept in is because we know that there was a large faction of Jewish leaders in the uh, Jerusalem church on the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council in Jerusalem, uh, known as the Sadducees, that held to the idea that there was no resurrection from the dead at all, that the, the very concept was flawed, that it wasn't in line with the Old Testament, that it wasn't in line with the God revealed in the Old Testament. 
Now, Paul does not come from that party. As a matter of fact, we know that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees, as he says in other places. And the Pharisees did believe in the concept of resurrection. But Paul is going to anchor his argument for the resurrection, not in the different theological strands that he had come out of, but no, he's going to anchor the, the thought or anchor the, the evidence for this concept of resurrection in the very fact that Christ was risen. This is what he says. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. This is very important. And this is why I say the resurrection is everything. Uh, folks, Christianity is, I, I'm not, I can't make this statement uh, definitively, but I believe this is true is the only religion that allows itself to be falsifiable. In other words, it makes claims that happen in space-time history and says, if this didn't happen, if you can produce the body, if you can show that this doctrine that we adhere to is in fact false, then we're throwing in the towel. Indeed, we make a claim in that says, if you can show that we have believed wrongly that Jesus actually rose, then this religion is junk. It's true. Uh, folks, I, that's, that's the significance of the resurrection. If the, if the body of Christ is found, if the ossuary of Christ is found somewhere, then we need to close up shop immediately because all that we're doing now is just basically a moral social club apart from the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection is everything. And beyond that, even, even though your faith is in vain, there's even a deeper problem, as he'll go on to say, verse 15, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. So not only do we have the problem of basically our faith being completely meaningless if Jesus isn't raised, but now we're also having to deal with the problem that we have actually claimed false things about the God of the universe. And that's a, that's a big no-no too. And then he goes on, verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And it's even worse, you're still in your sins. No forgiveness for you. So you stand before God, a sinner, and have no hope of salvation. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, in other words, people who have died, have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Those are some strong words from Paul. You see why I say over and over again, folks, the resurrection is everything. A while back when I was pastoring my first church, a very, very sweet man, uh, I think was a believer in the Lord, but just, you know, was kind of newer in his faith. Uh, one time during a Bible class said, why does it really matter if Jesus raised bodily or not? I mean, why can't we just believe that the disciples had a vision of Jesus, uh, you know, and that was fine? I mean, it doesn't really matter whether it literally happened or whether it didn't. And of course, I pointed into this passage. I said, no, it's not going to work that way. Um, Paul and the rest of the apostles are absolutely insistent, absolutely insistent that they have touched him, they have heard him, they have seen him with their eyes, they have, they've, and they're willing to go to death for it. I mean, 
All of them faced persecution. Eleven of them, according to church history, were martyred for their insistence, their absolute insistence, that Jesus really did, in fact, raise from the dead. Indeed, it's everything, folks. And so Paul will conclude our time together today saying, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or, or died. And that's our hope, that no matter what we face in this life, the reason that we can face hardship and struggle and difficulty in this life is in fact because we know that when we fall asleep, that it will be just that. It will be a brief nap and then we will be awake in eternity with no more sickness and no more frailty and no more pain and no more of the sadness that we face, no more of the chaos. That's coming. That's coming. It's a guarantee because Christ has lived for you. He's died for you. He has forgiven you of all your sins. He's raised for you and he's coming to take you home. He's preparing a place for you now. That's our hope. That's why it's so, so, so important that we hold to the reality of the resurrection of Christ. Okay, folks, that's it for today. I hope you have a great Friday, and I look forward to seeing you online on Sunday. We're starting.